0: It's like if you're building a pyramid or a ziggurat or something, you get to a certain height above the ground and you don't stop and go, wow, look at us, we got this high. Instead go, wow, look what we can see from here. You know, this, this combined effort that has gotten us to this particular level, it gives us a whole new ability to see where we are and to look further. You're listening to The Business of Thought Leadership with Nikki Ballou and Michael Palmer.
1: Welcome to the podcast, The Business of Thought Leadership. I'm your co-host, Nikki Ballou. I'm your other co-host, Michael Palmer. And wow, Michael, this episode is one of my favorite of all time.
2: Wouldn't you agree? I absolutely think so. He's the an icon in Canadian history. And I'm so excited to have him on the show today.
1: We are speaking, of course, of none other than Colonel Chris Hadfield, the first Canadian to walk in space. My God, every word coming out of this man's mouth was gold, solid gold. And Michael, you've had some experience with this man before as well, right?
2: Yeah. I had the privilege of interviewing him at the Art of Leadership in Toronto a couple of years back. And he was. I've seen hundreds of speakers. He was the number one speaker I've ever seen, as well. Had the privilege of actually interviewing him, and what came through was he's just the real deal. That's it. You know, people talk about leadership. This guy is the leader, uh, and just remarkable things that he's done.
1: Yeah, in an age where there's so much inauthenticity, this man is authentic to the core. Solid gold. He has over a million followers on social media. He's written. New York Times best-selling books. And he goes around the world speaking. And in his spare time, he inspires children. It just doesn't get any better than that. And on top of that, he's got a lot of wisdom, you know, for you, the listener, when it comes to commercializing thought leadership. And he really talks about that you don't need to be a celebrity. And there's a lot of things that you already have, experiences you've had that you can use to become that expert, to be positioned as that thought leader and make that commercial. And you're going to love listening to
2: this episode, right, Michael? Absolutely. Now, let's talk. Nikki. to share a little bit about the success clues segment at the end, we've got Dana coming on.
1: Oh, my God. Yeah, that's so fantastic. So, you know, ever since we launched this segment, Michael, we've gotten a lot of great feedback on it from our listener. And here's here's the the thing. This particular segment is on Dana Wall. Dana Wall is someone that we work at in our program, E Circle Academy. She had worked in the Canadian military. Isn't it nice that there's a military theme to this today's is a podcast? Canadian it. military. Dana and Chris Hatfield. So Dana was a submarine hunter, which is kind of cool. And she decided to get out of that world and get into the world of coaching and making a difference for people. And she joined our program, and uh, she was all excited. But she hadn't really had any commercial success. And she's, since she's been in our program, she's had a significant amount of success. She's signed on a lot of new clients, getting a lot of traction. She's getting paid speaking engagements, paid clients to do coaching work with her. So she's actually doing a lot of things that you know, you as a listener are interested in doing, which is to speak, to coach, to do group training and facilitating. And she's made that happen for herself. And Success Leaves Clues is all about her story and how she made that happen. So we're excited to bring Dana to you as well.
2: Yeah, I love those segments. It's They're really inspirational, right? Hearing pe- how people are going out there, doing the work and actually getting the results. So lots that we're going to be learning from that segment as well. So let's get to it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And listen, if you want to find out more about Dana and some of the other folks on the Success Leaves Clues segment, you can always go onto Facebook. We actually have a Facebook group called The Business of Thought Leadership. So if you're an aspiring thought leader, and you are interested in getting some additional resources, meet with some of the great folks that have been a part of these podcasts, go in, apply, and request to join. And uh, if you are a thought leader, a coach, a consultant, or an aspiring coach, consultant, speaker, et cetera, we'll definitely approve your request to join. It's absolutely free, and you'll get lots of great resources, network with a lot of great people. It's absolutely fantastic. So really, really encourage you to do that.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And in the show notes right now, you're listening. Just click on your smartphone there. Click on the website. It'll take you right to that group. All right, let's get right to it, Michael.
1: Our guest today is a genuine Canadian hero. He was the first Canadian to walk in space. He's a former commander of the International Space Station. He retired as a colonel in the Canadian military, I am speaking, of course, of New York Times bestselling author, Chris Hadfield. Welcome to the podcast, Chris. Nikki,
0: Michael, thank you very much. Glad to be joining the two of you.
1: Fantastic. We are super excited to have you here on the show. Well, Chris, a couple questions I want to ask you to get started right off the bat. One of them is, I mean, your exploits are well-known and your story is well-known, but What you've done, which is pretty incredible, is you have taken your celebrity, if you will, and your accomplishments, and you've translated it into a position of authority, a position of thought leadership, if you will. In fact, you've written a book about it. You do speeches. I wonder if you could take a moment now and kind of describe how you've gone about doing that.
0: Okay. Uh, I think part of it, gentlemen, is in the the, uh, the challenge that astronauts have to face in order to be successful. If you are going to do something that is uh, very risky, that is extremely technically complicated, that involves a lot of people, and that you only have one try to do, where the stakes are the highest, life or death, a billion dollars, but you only get one attempt at it, how do you get ready for that? How do you uh, build a skill set and and a team and a way to do things so that you optimize your chances for success. And we do it uh, on on a regular, repeated basis in the space business. We figure out a way to launch a spaceship uh, every month or two. And and that threshold of decision-making, of building uh, a group of folks that is optimized for success, that whole process uh, is something that you develop and learn and invent and become good at as an astronaut. And so after I'd, I'd served as an astronaut for 21 years and, had, and I'd spoken and lectured in schools and businesses all around the world, I, I recognized that some of the ideas that allow us to do that, that allow us to safely uh, launch and operate spaceships, a, a lot of those ideas carry over into everything else that people do, because it's just sort of a weirdly exaggerated version of human behavior. And and so it's something that I'd lectured on. And I thought it's probably worth trying to write all those ideas down. And that that was the genesis of my first book. And I titled it, in fact, an astronaut's guide to life on Earth, because because that's really the only place that any of this really matters to us is how do these lessons apply to the regular day-to-day living on the surface. And and so that application that sort of dissecting the the process and and the the methodology of how you get ready to do those things, that I think is the reason there's been all the interest and success since my third space flight. And, And in fact, you mentioned social media following. I have more than a million people are following along with the ideas now than, than when I retired from the space program. The space flight is interesting, but the ideas behind it, the way that we do it, what it means in regular life, that that's the really key part. And, and, I, and it's reflected a lot of different ways, including the continuing interest through social media.
1: Which is fantastic and amazing. You know, the title of this podcast is The Business of Thought Leadership. So our listener, Chris, is really interested in how you have taken these ideas and turned them into a, a business, if you will, a commercial enterprise, a, one that's allowed you to be successful. Let's face it, um, you know, in Canada, you're, you're an absolute hero for what you've done, but there's other people who've been astronauts and in space before, and not every single one of them has parlayed it into the same level of authority and public speaking and, and, and writing books and being a professor at the University of Waterloo as you have. So what is it that's allowed you to do that? How can our listener learn from that, even if they're not a big celebrity?
0: Uh, okay, so I think part of it is is an honesty with yourself, looking closely at, at your own strengths and weaknesses, and, and and really having a good look into the mental mirror of yourself and saying, okay, what is it that I've actually accomplished what do I know? Well, how are my thoughts maybe different or, or have a different perspective or a different slant than other people who have gotten to this stage of life? And is there anything within my experience that, that might be of use or interest to somebody else? And it, it sounds like kind of a vainglorious thing to do or kind of a weird thing because you probably don't think you have original thought, but we're all the product of a unique set of experiences, And I think the part that a lot of folks don't do is sit down and really analytically look at what do I do on a regular basis? How do I deal with life? What have I learned? How do I cope with with danger and fear and tragedy and trepidation and and responsibility and leadership and followership? How do I actually deal with all those things? And, and what in the way that I do those things might be of interest to other people. Be, be very clinical and, and kind of cold-hearted about it of what do I have to offer? And then the next part of that is how do you then share the uniqueness of your particular human experience with other people? And and what what is it that, that you're doing that other people don't or observations you're making that other people are not? And for example, you may have a terrific eye for, for color or you may have a tremendous clarity of thought on, doesn't matter, politics or, or some particular skill set that, that other folks don't have. And then how do you share that with other folks? And it used to be a little more limited, but the, the ubiquity of technology right now is you can snap a photograph or have a transient thought. And there is the the means of communication to share it with an almost an unlimited audience. uh, If if you find a way to express it clear enough and coherently enough that it's of interest to other people and then continuously repeat that process. What is it about life that interests me or that I'm expert on or that thrills me or that excites me or that or that uh, maybe I I'm seeing in a different way that other people are and then sharing that. Whether you're a university professor or a writer or a photographer or a journalist or just talking to people on the bus or using social media so that your ideas are are then thought about and respected and, and potentially mimicked by other people. And to me, that's the process that I followed. You know, when when I was sitting on in the rocket and facing the tremendous risk of launch which which is the most dangerous thing i've done in my entire life i wasn't doing that because i hope someday you know that i would write a book that that's completely backwards instead i at each stage of my life i tried to do the things that were important to me i tried to do them as as well as i possibly could and then afterwards i tried to understand what out of that process might be interesting and then share it with other people as frankly and clearly as i could and and i think that model applies everywhere if take what it is that makes you you the things that you've learned the things that you've observed and and find a way to summarize and express and share them uh, as clearly and honestly as possible And, and then your particular sphere of influence uh, grows and is the result of that.
2: That's great, Chris. You know, you, you said that was the riskiest thing that you've ever done. And I, I, I had the privilege of interviewing you a couple of years back at the Art of Leadership in Toronto which was a fantastic event, and you did a wonderful job speaking there. And you you shared a little bit of your backstory of the things that you've done in your life. And there's a, lot, a long list of risky things that you've done. So could you share a little bit of the early days of your life to give people a little bit of color
0: into the things that you've done? Sure thing, Mike. I think maybe the, the key thing to start with is that I am not a thrill seeker at all. No astronauts are a thrill thrill seeker, in my mind, is looking to put themselves at risk so that they get adrenaline released into their veins. So you get that thrill of risk. But adrenaline is is a historic biological way to make you momentarily stronger and faster. But it sure doesn't make you smarter, nor does it make you more technically competent, nor does it make you ready to succeed in a complex technical world it's a prehistoric way of dealing with danger and it's completely inadequate if you're trying to be a good leader or if you're trying to uh, operate complex systems or machines or something and so it's kind of the opposite of an astronaut is to be a thrill seeker what we are are deliberate risk managers, deliberate, procedural, careful people who will who will take a risk or face up to a danger, but for a specific purpose. That's why we take a risk. And so my whole life, that's what I've really honored, not to take a risk. Like, I'm not interested in just doing something risky. What I wanna do is figure out a way to face up to a risk so that we can understand it better and learn from it and then move on. Like, imagine if the Wright brothers had just been thrill seekers, they would have crashed constantly, but they weren't. They weren't interested in the thrill of it. They wanted to figure out how to fly and think of how much that changed the world, just how how necessary flight is in, in the structure of, of the way we run society right now. And so that's what, what has guided me my whole life. When I was a downhill ski racer as a teenager in my early 20s, when I became a, uh, a fighter pilot and was flying F-18s uh, defending Canada during the Cold War and intercepting uh, armed Soviet bombers off the coast of Canada. Or when I became a test pilot and, and uh, with both the U.S. Air Force and the U.S. Navy, trying to take an airplane and understand it better, put it into a part of the edge of the understood envelope and then evaluate it and work on it and change it so that now those airplanes are better understood and safer. And then all of those things, the speed, the complexity, the technical part of it, all coming together as an astronaut in order for us to now be exploring the rest of the universe. The six people living up on the space station, I helped that happen. I went to two different space stations. I served as an astronaut for 26 years. I helped teams of people work through thousands of problems. I did spacewalks to help build that space station. And I and I helped, you know, command it. And so that process to me, that's the really interesting part, is being a measured risk taker. You have to take risks to be successful, to, to push back the edges of ignorance, but take risk in as competent and informed and measured a way as you possibly can so that you learn the most from it and so that other people can then take that part of it for granted and move on to the problems that still face us. Okay, I got to
1: ask, how the heck can sitting in a spaceship about to be launched be more dangerous than being in an F-18 facing off with Soviet bombers (laughs) off the coast of Canada?
0: Well, the risk of uh, intercepting armed Soviet bombers is a political risk to a large degree. In that everybody's working from a specific script of of rules of what we're going to do today. It wasn't all out war, and the the crew of the Russian Bear bomber was was working with their own um, rules of engagement, and political of masters. Whereas, uh, and I was doing the same, working at NORAD and the and the government of Canada. So the the potential is very high, but the actual risk is quite measured. But when you fly a space shuttle, it's almost all technical. And the risk of dying on my first launch in the first nine minutes was one in 38. When we go back now and, and do the math, we can see wow. the risk that day. And so one in 38, those are terrible odds. That's that's a level of risk that most people never have to face up to. But, but we prevailed because of of years and years of preparation and training.
1: Hmm. That's you, interesting because, you know, I would have thought that some sometimes in the cold war you had situations where jets were shot down. You, you know, I remember back uh, in the early eighties, uh, the Soviets shot down a Korean airliner as an example, right? Things like that could happen to I mean, it's possible somebody could lose control.
0: Oh, oh, absolutely. It's possible. That's why, that's why we're so heavily trained to do that. We don't just, um, send people out in f teams without all the years of prep because we're trying to minimize the chances of that.
2: You know, it's a remarkable life that you've led and uh, uh, listening to you back when I interviewed you uh, at The Art Of and, and now I'm glad you shared all of that because it really is you know people think of uh, you know movie stars and superheroes and all these different things that uh, are icons in our society and you're you're actually the real deal that's what i took away you've lived a life of leadership and it's just through action and doing and you said a couple other things that i want our listeners to hear about because i think it's really relevant in terms of working together working with others and and really having perspective of where where a person's at and how they can move forward. Can you share a little bit about your story around whether you're looking forward or back, and 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 maybe to to be looking at the 180 degree.
0: Sure. I, I think uh, a lot of people have a skewed version of of what it's like to have done something. I don't know, as publicly visible as flying in space. In that, most people didn't know what i was up to or hadn't heard my name and, until i'm on board a spaceship and then suddenly of course it catches the news of of uh, of the media and 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 you can see the personification of your own particular maybe set of dreams or things that you've read about and so you see an astronaut in space and then you project your own interpretation of what that must mean to the astronaut of what it must be like and then when that flight is over then of course they're no longer in your your crosshairs, the media is not seeing them again. And so I think you sort of get the impression, uh, a mistaken impression of what it's like to be an astronaut. And, and I'm sure it's true for an Olympic athlete or, or, or really for anybody, you get a very skewed version of, of their own particular life. For an astronaut, I, I, even though there's that week or two of, of focus and danger and risk, it is only a tiny little subset of decades of work, uh, of decades of preparation in advance, uh, of of focused study towards something that is probably never going to happen. So, So there's a whole methodology and a psychology that's necessary to build an entire life that is a constant life of study, and responsible preparation and and trying to understand every potential danger and risk and changing who you are into someone who could be trusted to face up to those responsibilities, knowing in the back of your mind that probably it's never actually going to occur. You're never actually going to be in a position to do those things. So, So learning how to find satisfaction in a life of preparation and anticipation and not wait Till, till you actually fly in space, to feel comfortable and, and proud of yourself. That's a really important part of it. But then when you land, a lot of people think, oh gosh, your life must be terrible now that the, the only interesting part is over. And, and it's, <laughs> it's not like that at all. To me, the 20 years that led up to my third space flight were fascinating and challenging and very important in forming who I am now. And the time since has been the same. And, and the challenges I face every day and how do you use what you know so far in order to succeed in the future. And I spend very little time looking backwards. I'm kind of puzzled by folks who spend their whole life getting together to talk about how things used to be and dealing with anniversaries. Oh, today's the fifth anniversary of when I did something or the eighth or the 10th. That's OK. But what's much more interesting is what are you doing this afternoon? And what are you getting ready to do next week? And what skills are you building? And how are you influencing your own life and the lives of others in the future? To me, the things you've done in the past really just have built the platform that you're standing on today in order to do things in the future. And that to me is, is really the interesting part of life, not just riding on the inertia of, of things you've done. And yeah, it, it, to me, it's, it's an important part of my life that I intercepted Soviet bombers and that I have three children and that I have flown in space. But it's not the limiting definition of my life either. I just don't see it that way.
1: I love what you just said. You know, you sound a lot like a a good friend of mine, Mark McCoy. Mark is a Canadian Olympic gold medalist uh, in track and field uh, back in 1992. Michael and I have the privilege of working with Mark. He's a faculty member in one of the programs that we run. And I I work out with this guy four times a week because he is one of the fittest human beings on the planet. He's 55 and uh, below the neck, he still looks like he could be winning gold medals. And wow. all he talks about is life moving forward. He never talks about his past exploits. He talks about how to be better. You know, and that's all he tells me about is stop looking at what happened yesterday. Look at what you're doing right now. Look at your goals going forward. And it's, it, it, it's incredible to hear you speak like that because it strikes me that success leaves clues. Uh, And that's actually the name of a segment we do here on the podcast. And the clues that it leaves is that successful people, generally speaking, think the same way and do the same things. They're very future-focused. They're very forward-focused. They're looking at what they need to get done today. What happened yesterday, as you said, it's nice, it's interesting to reminisce about it once in a while, but the dominant focus of of their mind is what they're going to do next. And that's what you just outlined for everybody. And I think that's absolutely brilliant.
0: Well, I, th- I think it's, uh, it's maybe worth looking at. And I, there's all sorts of clubs that I could belong to, of course, the, the universities that I went to, and, and, and it's good to honor those. But what I see, anniversaries and gatherings like that, I see those as a great opportunity to try and figure out how were we successful and how can we apply that to what we're doing now. If, if we managed to do something in the past that is worth celebrating or having an anniversary for like like when my wife and I have a wedding anniversary. It's not entirely a retrospective, but it's a great moment to say, hey, we've had a lot of successes to this point. So why and, and what have we done right and what have we done wrong and how can we take all of that sort of, it's its like if you're building a pyramid or a ziggurat or something, you get to a certain height above the ground and you don't stop and go, wow, look at us, we got this high. Instead go, wow, look what we can see from here. Look, you know, this, this combined effort that has gotten us to this particular level, it gives us a whole new ability to see where we are and to look further. And I know that's a figurative and a little bit fanciful way to express it, but I think that's really how how it how I internalize it in my own life and and yeah I've I've, I've done Canada's first spacewalks and, and commanded a spaceship and, and those I think are significant but but you're cool as those, hell Chris are you kidding I are you I know, significant? I know they're cool. cool but I know they're cool but but so what right it, this isn't just a stunt this isn't just Absolutely. just just a, a a thing that happened it's what you do with it how does that become worthwhile how do you influence the behavior of other people I, just before i spoke to you i spoke to a classroom of children and right after we're done with this i'm calling into another classroom because i think the ideas hmm. are as are way more important than just the stunt itself and how can young people look at the things that i've done and realize huh that's Something that might change my decisions in life, something somebody else did may be formative in how I'm going to choose to live my own life. And to me, that's the real the real point of it is is how uh, how does your particular sequence of decisions and experiences, how does that influence the lives of others? That that's the only part that really matters.
1: That's brilliantly put. And wholeheartedly agree. I, I think it's fantastic that you do this for, for kids. Uh, I'm really touched by that. And, and, you know, what's cool about what you've done, what makes it cool, isn't just the stunt in my mind. It's the fact that it, it causes an expansion in a person when they hear that, like, wow, something like this is possible. So it touches something deep in their soul, I think. I mean, it, at least that's what it's done for me. That makes me think that the things that I've been thinking of doing and haven't gotten to yet are possible as well. It also causes connection and unity. And I think that's what's amazing about what you've accomplished in your career so far is because when people hear about it, it's more than just a retrospective. It's a point of inspiration and a point of you can do it too and move forward with power and with confidence and with purpose. So kudos for that, my friend.
0: Thanks very much. I appreciate
1: you saying that. Yeah, for sure. And it's interesting what you said about your relationship with your wife. We had a guest on our show, a man by the name of Owen Williams, who's a relationship expert. And he talks about us concept called lifetime courting, where he basically says that as a couple, your job is to be with one another the way you were in the early days of your relationship, to continuously court each other, to look Not just how great your relationship has been, but where you're going from here, how you can keep making it great and keep celebrating the other person for what's wonderful. And it sounds like you're taking this concept of lifetime courting and putting it into your relationship, too.
0: Oh, yeah. And by by no means do we get it perfect. We're just a couple people, you know, and and we make mistakes just like everybody else. But at the same time, you get a chance over and over and over again. And you can repeat the things that aren't working or you can try new things. and every day. You know, an expression I learned a long time ago is uh, every single day is uh, good intentions sacrificed on the altar of reality. And that's OK. Get over that. Just accept the fact that you woke up in the morning with a lot of good intentions and you get some of it right. You get some of it wrong. But then accept the fact that you're you're imperfect. But some of the stuff you got right today and and how did you do that and how did you make those decisions and maybe you can work that in and that you got to answer to yourself first you've got to try and, and make that work for yourself but then of course how did how did i interact with the people that are most important to me and what did i make a hash of today and how can i maybe do a better job of that tomorrow and uh, that constant dissatisfaction with with your own ability and ways of doing things and looking to you know, you're kind of sculpting yourself and your life always, and view yourself as an unfinished work, and and it's if you just sort of say an optimistic view of of everything that way, I think it leads to some interesting opportunities in life, and I'm I'm enjoying life so far.
2: Well, it's a very inspirational life, and what I love about what you've done, Chris, is really it's it's just expansion on past experiences, and then building up on that and making it grander and sharing it with more people and the whole concept of sharing what you've learned with young people. It's a real legacy that you're building, uh, I think, for, for yourself and for the people that, that get to interact with you. The, the one thing I want to know is what's, what gets in your way? What, what are the
0: roadblocks that you face? Oh, life is nothing but roadblocks, of course. Uh, everything goes wrong all the time the second most difficult thing to deal with is is the technical side i think you know how how do you make the the technology and the complexity of the world around you work like for example just us communicating today just try to make all the the little things line up so that this might happen or building the the structure that will allow the next thing to happen properly. And, and some, you know, uh, getting the license plates on your car or, or getting this thing renewed or just dealing with the regular technical hassles of life. That takes up a lot of everybody's life. And it's especially true, of course, in a business, just dealing with the day-to-day mundane but necessary technical things that have to happen. That's sort of, to me, a necessary part. You have to focus on it. You have to try and get good at it. But the most complicated part, far outstripping the technical side, is is the human side, the interpersonal side. How do you effectively deal with other people to accomplish the things that are important in your own life? And that's a constant battle, of course, and you'll never get it right because you are imperfect and everybody around you is imperfect. And, and even if you get it perfect for a little while, it's something's going to change or the your own personality or the people around you. And so I think dealing with those two things is the necessity to recognize that you will never win, that any particular success is transient, that you need to face up to the fact that no matter how well you girded your loins and succeeded in battle yesterday, you're starting over again today. So what skills did you develop that allowed you to succeed in the past? How can you reapply those in a slightly refined manner today to maybe slightly more successful, to get a little closer to the things you're trying to do? And the onus is almost entirely always on you what are my technical skills that i don't have yet and what are my interpersonal abilities and and foibles that i don't have right yet and how can i become better at those what i don't speak the language well enough i don't understand the details well enough i haven't communicated myself i haven't listened well enough i haven't looked for the downstream impacts of the actions and words that i that i've expressed yet you know all of those things are just a constant iterative process and and but but also Take joy in the successes that you've had. Not everything you've done has been a failure. You can focus on it, but there are all sorts of small, transient, joyful successes. And recognize that those are happening and celebrate them. And this this is maybe, I know we don't have much time left, guys, but lower your personal bar of victory as low as you can possibly have it so that you allow yourself to feel like you've succeeded as often as possible. Don't wait for some major, huge, externally validated measure of success, in order to feel good about yourself, because most other people, they're busy enough with their own lives. That you shouldn't count on them to allow you to feel good about yourself. So, so drop your own bar of victory, you know, so that you can look around and go, nobody else really cares what I just what I just did, but to me, that was that was cool. That was interesting. I feel good about that, and. And that allows me to have built up a little bit of inertia in the day so that by the end of each day, I can kind of look back and go, you know, I didn't get everything right today, but these little things, they were important to me. I got those done. And today's a day that puts a smile on my face. And whether you have that day or not, is almost always a personal choice. And the more of those days you can string together in life you are going to be happier with yourself and you're going to be more successful dealing with other people. And the key part to remember out of that is it's almost all a personal decision as to what constitutes success to you.
1: Fantastic. So as we wrap this episode up, Chris, what we always ask our guest is to share with us three expert action steps that they would like our listener to to take on and include in one of them, you know, some way that they can I- engage with you if there's anything you've got coming up, a speaking event or if you want to talk about one of your books or a program that you have, it's a great opportunity to do that as well.
0: Well, let's see. The whole purpose of my first book was very much to try and take the things that were important to me and and write them down and phrase them in a way that maybe people could use them as action steps, you know, of the idea that these thoughts or experiences that I've had, someone else may be able to internalize them and change their behavior. So I think the first one is to have a personal definition of perfection that allows you to shape your decision-making in the short term. Say to yourself, What is it I'm trying to actually accomplish? What's what's really important to me? Where am I trying to get to in life? If the the question to ask is, if everything goes perfectly, where am I going to be some X amount of time in the future? Five years from now, If everything goes perfectly. What is it I'm going to be doing? And in my book, I call that having an attitude. And, and recognizing that this is what I'm trying to accomplish. And I'm probably never going to get there. I'm never going to be the prime minister or a heart surgeon or walk on the moon or or get an Olympic medal. But if I give that to myself as a long-term goal, then it's going to help me choose what to do in the short term. So I think that's the number one, is to give yourself constantly refreshed long-term goal that it is you're trying to accomplish. The second is to recognize, and in the book I call it aim to be a zero, and that is to recognize when you come into a new situation, you may feel pretty confident about your own abilities probably a distorted view of both your own understanding of the situation you're coming into, but also your ability to make a good decision in it. And our our natural tendency for a lot of people coming into a new situation is to try and immediately change the situation. You you walk in, you look around and you go, huh, we got to move this. We got to change that. We got to alter that. And what I express that is, is aiming to be a zero. Everybody comes in thinking they're a plus one. But everybody who's been there for a while, they see you come blundering in and they immediately recognize that you're a minus one. You're not a plus one. You think you know what you're doing, but you're repeating the mistakes of everybody who has a more subtle understanding of the environment you've entered. And so to deliberately, when you're coming into a new situation, aim to be a zero, like aim to get into the situation without causing a negative effect on everybody around you until your perceptions have become nuanced enough that you can start deliberately being a plus one in a measured manner. And so that's the second thing. And then the third is life is inevitably a series of of little peaks and little valleys and sometimes great big peaks and then what could be a great big valley in your own particular view. And, And we sort of have this weird societal expectation that if you're not continuing to climb up a ladder, then you're a failure but life is inevitably up the ladder down the ladder up the ladder down the ladder and and recognizing that that's normal and that in order sometimes like in snakes and ladders, in order to get higher up, to have a better understanding of things, you're going to have to climb down the ladder you're on and go back and change who you are. Give yourself better, you know, whatever ladder climbing skills before you're going to be able to climb maybe potentially to a different rung sometime in the future. So accept the fact that it's okay and that it's a natural part of life to climb down a ladder for a while and and not view that as a failure. Just view it as as like hey i'm, I'm gathering myself I'm, I'm 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 modifying who i am i'm turning myself into into me 2.0 or me 3.0 to get ready for things that are going to change in the future so you know i, I tried to go into a lot more detail of the things that i've written and the stuff i give lectures on and if you go to chrisadfield.ca, all the various events that i have are all listed there But I think those three things, giving yourself an attitude, a long term set of goals in life that are outlandish, that challenge you to to recognize that how you behave in a new situation uh, is probably viewed differently by you than it is by everybody around you and accept that life is ups and downs. And, and don't view yourself as a failure just because at this particular stage you're you're on your way down a ladder in looking for other ladders in the future. Though, I mean, those those are random out of the ideas that that I've tried to encompass in my life. But I think those three might be as useful as any.
1: Chris, that's fantastic. Thank you so much for being on our podcast. This has been an absolute joy and delight. And. Uh, Good luck and Godspeed to everything you do. You're one of God's angels, and I wish you well. If there's any way that we can continue to support what you do, we're happy to do it. Come back on our show anytime. Yeah, Chris.
0: Nikki and Michael, thank you very much. It was nice to talk to you both. And yeah, between the three books and and ideas that are out there, hopefully there's something. I wrote the books to be useful, and so hopefully there's some useful ideas uh, in them. And the easiest place uh, if you want to come meet or talk or anything, just go to chrisadfield.ca, then at Lisa kind of summarizes all the opportunities in our Chris.
2: You know, I have to say, for all the listeners, I've seen hundreds of speakers. I've read hundreds of books of, of the that speakers have written. You are the number one speaker I've ever seen. And is and I think the reason why is you are the real deal. So for our listeners, you get an opportunity, go to Chris's website, go see him speak. He's inspirational. He's educational. He will change the way you see the world. So, uh, Chris, it's been real great having you, and and good luck.
0: Well, a delight to talk to you again. Nice to talk to you both. Thanks very much, gentlemen. I look forward to talking to you next time.
2: Awesome. Thank you, Chris. Cheers. Bye-bye.
0: Okay. Bye-bye.
1: Bye-bye. Welcome to the Success Leaves Clues segment. Michael, I'm so excited about our guest on this segment, Dana wall. Dana is, as you know, a member of our E-Circle Academy program. And what's really cool about Dana is that we actually met her at a Robin Sharma event, if you recall. That's right. Yes. Dana, like Chris Hadfield, is a former member of the Canadian military. She is actually a former submarine hunter. How cool is that? (laughs) So cool. Hello, Dana.
3: Uh, Hello, Nikki and Michael. It is fantastic to be here.
1: It's just really great to have you on the segment. So listen, just for the sake of the folks, could you just give them like a very brief history of your background, you know, kind of what you did before you got into this whole game of thought leadership and what uh, inspired you to get started in it?
3: Absolutely. So I spent uh, 14 years in the Royal Canadian Navy as what's called a MARS officer. Which is a, it's an acronym, but essentially it's the officer that's in charge of driving the ship on behalf of the captain and eventually specializes in the area of warfare. And mine was anti-submarine warfare, or as you said before, really a... Hunting submarines and firing torpedoes and all that fun stuff. How so, cool is that? <laughs> it was really cool. Um, I, I'm not going to lie to you. Pressing that that red button and yelling fire <laughs> no. is as really, much fun as you think it would be. <laughs> I
1: can only imagine. Totally, totally, uh, totally. Uh,
3: But yeah, so during that that 14 years I was there, I got to travel all over the world. I've only missed Africa as far as continents go. Uh, I was able to instruct at the Naval Officer Training School, so I got to instruct what I was doing, which was an amazing experience. I also did a deployment with the United Nations to Lebanon as a military observer and worked in their headquarters for a while. So I, I got a whole range of amazing experience, worked with some... Really interesting people, both Canadian and international. And at the end of that, so I finished up my deployments in Lebanon and came back, and I had an uh, opportunity to advance more in my career. At that time, I said, "You know, we're just going to press the pause button," because I had been away from my husband for the better part of three years, and I really didn't feel like signing divorce papers at that point. And that got me looking into two alternate career streams, and I through a, a number of circumstances, I I was able to discover executive coaching and lo and behold, <laughs> I was really good at it and I liked it. So I made the leap and I became an executive coach full time. And my first order of business when I got out of the Navy was to book a really cool conference because for the first time in my adult life I didn't have to ask anybody permission to do so. So this was uh the Robin Sharma conference where I met you guys and I was just really lost as far as how to start a business because I'd been with the government and I was told what to do for 14 years. So this whole notion of starting a business and being an entrepreneur was absolutely daunting. And then my knights and shining owner showed up and that would be you guys. <laughs> and that's how I came to E-Circle.
1: Oh, fantastic. So Dana, what have the actual nuts and bolts, real world results been for you, you know, since you've become a uh, part of the community in the program?
3: Oh my gosh, huge. <laughs> so as I said, when I first came to Circle, I think it was October, I at that point had zero paying clients, no income coming in. And I was actually beginning <laughs> to question if maybe I should just go back and get a job. And since I joined, I managed to get two full paying clients that are absolutely ideal in their dream to work with. I was invited by a large biotech firm to speak at their, um, Retreat about leadership and teamwork and emotional intelligence. I also got a large paid speaking gig at a large government department. And recently I was headhunted by a large consulting firm and I'm now in negotiations for a one-year contract. So there's been some pretty amazing (laughs) stuff happening.
2: remarkable. And I love, I love how you've brought your experiences in life, essentially helping the captain steer their, the warship. And now you're helping executives help steer their business warships, <laughs> right?
3: I love that. It's so cool. Yes, but there's much less yelling involved. Yeah.
2: No, no saying fire, but maybe a little bit.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Depends on the circumstance. That's
2: right. so, so
1: Dana, this has been in less than like it's been seven weeks, I think, since you started this this journey with us, right?
3: Yeah, it's been seven weeks.
1: <laughs> and in seven weeks, you went from essentially being excited but not having uh, any clients to having paying clients to getting paid to speak and then being headhunted by a major consulting firm uh, to do a one-year contract. Now, that's incredible. You know, what? Yeah. What? what is it? What is it from what you've learned that's allowed you to do this?
3: You you know, it's a simple thing, but it was the biggest game changer. And that was helping me to get really, really clear on who I was, both professionally and personally, and what I brought to the table. And then that, in turn, enabled me to get really clear on my message and figure out exactly who it is that I wanted to work with and who it is that I could best serve. And once I got that clarity, doors opened up because people could find me. They knew what I did. And I knew where to look. And I think that that made all the difference.
1: Wow. You know, that's, that's fantastic because... As you know, a big part of what we do and and a big part of the message that we bring inside the episodes of this podcast is that you do have valuable life experiences that if you took the time to put them together in a structured, ordered way could be very valuable to people who have problems that you can solve. And that's really essentially what you've done. And you've used that in order to be able to find a particular group that's interested, has an itch that you could scratch, as it were, and you're scratching that itch. It's brilliant.
3: <laughs> exactly. I really like the way you put it. It's um, it's being able to apply your life's experiences in a way that's applicable to what you're trying to do. And for me, it was discipline, it was structure, it was processes and strategy. And just being able to translate that into something that works for for my business and for, for the people I serve was absolutely huge. And I think that's that's what eCircle was able to to help me to do.
2: It's really great. And the minute I heard your story when we first spoke on the phone, Dana, I knew right away you'd be super, super successful. I mean, your life experiences, <laughs> your training, and really just getting yourself out there. So, I mean, it's been a privilege to, to be working with you, but uh, I always say you've done the one that's done, gone out there and done all the work. So good on you.
3: Well, thank you. And you know what? The other thing is, Michael, it's that when you get around like-minded people that kind of have the same goals and aspirations more or less, then you're able to see that it's possible. And, and prior to, to meeting you guys, I didn't know anyone else that had done what I wanted to do. So I didn't think it was possible. So there's another huge element of self-belief in there. And, and having that support network and the knowledge base and all of that into one neat package that can just really put the jet fuel in what you're trying
1: to do. Yeah, the other people in the community are pretty great and it it is very inspirational. Dana, this is fantastic. We are thrilled to have had you on this segment. We're thrilled to have you be a part of our community and uh, we're excited for what the future holds for you. I know you're going to get to work with tons more clients and uh, there's going to be even greater opportunities coming your way.
3: Thank you so very much, Nikki and Michael. It has been an honor and a pleasure.
1: Awesome. Thanks again, Dana. Bye-bye. Bye now. Bye-bye, Dana. Wow, Michael, what an episode. Amazing. Perhaps our best ever, eh? Best ever. Two Canadian military heroes, Colonel Chris Hadfield, who is world famous, and Mars officer Dana Wall, who is Possibly about to become world famous. Yeah. Incredible. We learned a lot from these folks, and they're just inspirational people. And uh, I'm so excited for our listener hearing all this great stuff from
2: these great folks. Yeah. I, I, my only regret is that we didn't play this during Remembrance Week because what, a, what an honor yeah. it's been to have these these people in our on our show. No, I t- totally
1: agreed. And listen, again, for you, the listener, if you want to find out more about Dana and you want to find out more about some of the other great guests we've had on our Success Leaves Clues segment and their stories, we have a Facebook group. It's also called The Business of Thought Leadership. It is a closed group. It's by invitation only. But if you're one of our listeners, we're sending you the invite. Come in there. Send us a request to uh, to become a member of the group. A private message, my, Michael or myself, let us know that you're one of our listeners. And we will let you in. The group is completely free. There's all kinds of great resources, great networking, great connections, great community. You'll learn a lot. And it will really help you move your positioning as a thought leader and the commercialization of it further forward.
2: Absolutely. Well, that wraps another episode of the Business of Thought Leadership podcast. Again, as Nikki said, you can go to thebusinessofthoughtleadership.com. You find all the links and information about the show there. Please subscribe to us on iTunes. Leave us a review. Let us know how we're doing. And until next time, goodbye. Bye-bye.
3: You've been listening to The Business of Thought Leadership with Nikki
0: Ballou and Michael Palmer. For more information and to download the resources mentioned in this episode, please visit us at thebusinessofthoughtleadership.com. Thank you for listening.